if you brought a Bible or your iPhone, you can turn to uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. So, where is your joy? Where is your joy? Those are words that we read in the book of Galatians. As Paul is writing to this group of believers in the region of the Middle East, now is uh, central Turkey. And he asks them this question, where is your joy? And he's asking that because... They once had it, and they've lost it. And it's of great concern as he looks at them to see that, that their countenance has fallen. There is no joy. There is no exuberance. There, there seems to be this downcast, heavy feeling. It's like a, a fog that's just come in among God's people. And Paul is so concerned about that because God is not wanted that for any of us. Part of his design and plan for us is to be a people who are filled with joy. So when you lose your joy, it's a great concern. Now for the Galatian church, the way they lost it, both of these that I'm going to talk about are related to the Word, God's Word. They they had taken God's Word and added to it. Have you ever seen someone do that? You know that God really hasn't said enough, and so we're going to try to help you out with your Christian life. And so, and, and you know, we are famous to be rule makers. And it is so much fun to put those on other people. It's not fun when they put them on you. But it is, it is really fun to be a Pharisee. <laughs> That's what the Pharisees did. Now, we need, we need to help God out because God's law or His Word didn't explain enough things, so we're going to add, I think it was 600 and some other rules and regulations. And Paul said what, what it's done is just put God's people in complete bondage. And they lost their joy. That's why the Galatian church had lost their joy, because all of these rules and regulations, and that is not God's plan either. It's relationship. It's a relationship with Christ. It's not governed by all these rules and regulations. But there's another story of people that did just the opposite. Rather than adding to the Word, they just let the Word drift away from their lives. And that was what we would call the children of Israel. We read about through the Old Testament all of the events from Abraham on and Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the Promised Land and Joshua being the one to go across the the parted uh, river and into that land to possess the land. But in time, we see that they drifted from God's Word, and they lost their joy. So we've been talking a little bit about how Israel had come under the uh, attack of the Babylonian Empire and how the Babylonians had been attacked by the Bedes and Persians. So they went from being conquered to being conquered by the, by the people that conquered the ones that conquered them. And they had lost their joy completely. In fact, 
If you were to ask that, why have you lost your joy? They'd probably say, well, look, look. And typically, when we lose our joy, we'll probably immediately point to certain circumstances. Well, for them, look at Jerusalem. The walls are all torn down, burned with fire. The city is in rubble. The temple's destroyed. Our land has been grown over. There is nothing in this world in a physical existence that is beautiful anymore. Everything has gone wrong. And yes, there's been a lot of weeping over that. So God had led three men in particular to to go back, and they, they did so with the blessing of the king of the Medes and Persians, to go back and rebuild the city. There are three, these three men, uh, Zerubbabel, I won't ask you to spell that one, but uh, Zerubbabel was the priest, that's good, wasn't it? <laughs> See, the moment I start making fun of things, then I, I do it myself, <clears throat> but he was responsible for rebuilding the temple. Nehemiah, we're in this book, was responsible for rebuilding the wall around the city of Jerusalem to protect it. So you have the temple, the wall, and these are physical structures, but, but Ezra was given the task of rebuilding the people. And when you think about it, that is the most important thing because all of the physical structures around eventually get old and decay. But God's real love and God's real care was for his people. And we've been talking about Ezra's life over the past few weeks and how that he prepared his heart and he did so with God's word. And the focus of the message this morning is to continue the importance of God's word in your life that connects it to joy and to strength. We're going to see that as we read through the text. I'd like to to, uh, begin with verse 1. In fact, it's actually right before verse 1 in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. The water gate was just one of the entrances into the city. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which when we're talking about the law or the word of God, that's, that's all they had at the time were the first five books, which we call the books of Moses. And he says, this is which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Now I'm going to be probably done here about 11.15, but can you imagine being in that service? It says they all stood at the reading of the word and they read when the sun came up to noon. And they, they were completely uh, attentive to what... And I'm not going to ever try that, I don't think. <laughs> <clears throat> Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Meklijah, Hashem, Hashabadanah, Zechariah, and Mishalem. No one laughed, and I'm glad you 
don't laugh because I'll have you come up and read the names. <laughs> Ezra opened the book. All of the people could see him because he was standing above them, and he opened it. And the people all stood. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Amen just means so be it, or let it be so. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Then the Levites, who were the spiritual leaders and priests, Joshua, Bani, Shabiah, Jamin, Achab, Shebedathai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law and made it clear, giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. So if you get this picture, and, I, and not being there, I don't know really how it was functioned, but Ezra was reading the word of the Lord. They had not heard it for generations. I mean, they, they, they had not heard this word. And then the priests were helping people to understand it. Because people don't understand what you're reading. If you're reading in Latin or another language, they're not going to understand. So they, they brought the sense. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law, and the Levites were instructing the people to say to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listen to the words of the law. Yeah, I want you to, to realize that these people were so, so discouraged. I mean, just waves of, of discouragement over the circumstances they were in. They had lost all of their joy. And the reason they're weeping is they, they realize how far they've drifted away from truth. They hadn't added to the law. They had just let it, let it leave. And then Nehemiah said, go, he said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. If I could sum up my challenge this morning, it would be this. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It was at that time. It will always be that way. How do we tie this together? Because I think that there is a significance between the Word of the Lord, and I, and I realize I've got a, a physical Bible here. I usually don't carry this around with me. I'm thankful for the pocket editions on your, your phone. Um, but when I say God's revelation, God speaks to us, there is a connection between His words to you and to me and your state of mind, your joy and your peace and your strength. And when we drift away from His words, we are most certain to drift into despair and discouragement. And I would say this, it's probably for most of us an everyday occurrence where we get discouraged about something, some news, some event. It may not be the exact same circumstances as the Jews, that the walls were broken down and the cities caved in and all of these things, but every single day 
We will wake up to and experience throughout the day things that will just absolutely rob us from our joy. And, you know, I think that if Satan could do anything, I don't believe Satan can ever take away your salvation. I don't believe Satan can take away eternal life. He cannot possess a believer. But he can make you doubt what God has said, and he can bring discouragement and despair into your life. And not only do you experience that, but everywhere we go, we find people that events will will tend to take away that joy. So from this text, and I realize that we were in Ezra, now we're in Nehemiah, but it's really all the same event. The Ezra part was Ezra getting ready for this, and this this is the main event. It's the the platform, he has the, uh, the podium up there, and he has thousands of people that are out listening to him, and they're communicating what this means, and they're weeping, and they're crying. And he comes to the end, and he says, do not grieve, do not weep, do not cry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I'd like to begin by by asking, what is the source of joy? Now, we can talk about the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness can be, I've got a great set of circumstances today, and so I'm happy. But joy runs deeper. Joy runs down to the core of who you are. Joy can function in spite of circumstances because you you will see sometimes people who have a horrible set of circumstances and yet somehow they have joy and peace and contentment. Now what, what is that? Joy is deeper. Joy is stronger. Joy is a work of God that, that can overarch every circumstance in life. And I think we, we need to begin by understanding the nature of the Word of God. Uh, sometimes it's a bit intimidating. You know, I, I think I look at all of the verses and all of the Scriptures, and what, what do they say? What do they mean? But to realize that God has designed this Word to be a source like the water that runs through the desert for your life. And he wants you to abide and think and read and study in his word. Live by his word. And when you drift away from his word, you're going to lose all your joy. And when you start becoming like a Pharisee and making up all your own other rules you want to add to your life and to others, you become miserable. But, but when we abide in his word, God will fill us with joy. And that joy will be our strength to go through the day. If you'd like, turn to the Gospel of John, because I, I want you to, to see this. And those that, that don't see, just, just listen to the Gospel of John and, and how it begins. It's interesting in, in John because it almost starts out like Genesis. Does anyone know how Genesis starts out? What's the first two words in Genesis? Okay, in the beginning. And John ties this together because that those are the exact same words in John 1 1 it says in the beginning and it says was the word in other words before God created the earth which we we talk about the the creative beginning before that was the word the word already was and the word 
that already was, was with God before creation. And he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, here's what he says. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. You think, okay, what is he talking about? And then it talks about he, talks about the Word being he. I don't know if you notice all that just reading through, but it, it, it sets up. It sets up to make a statement in verse 14. The Word became flesh. In other words, this Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, as a glorious person, and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So who is the Word? Jesus is the Word. God is the Word. Jesus is the Word. We see what we call the mystery and the beauty and the power of the Trinity. And so, the Word that we read about all the way back in Ezra and Nehemiah, about the law that is being read, Paul describes it this, is, is, is pointing us to the person of Jesus. If you miss that, you, you really missed the whole point of the Bible. Because from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to Re- Revelation, you find this, what they call a, a scarlet thread running of pointing to Jesus who will reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. The whole plan of God's redemption and saving us. It's a beautiful story. But when you read it in the Old Testament, you see it in seed form. When you come to the New Testament, you say, oh, that's what that meant. I, oh, I see, that's what that meant. So when the word that we have heard all along that Moses wrote, those five books, the Pentateuch, uh, we've read all those along, so now we see that word has now become flesh. And God's desire is not just that you know the word intellectually, that you can quote verses. That's not going to do it is that that word leads you to the person of Jesus Christ that you might have a real relationship with him, personal, real, and intimate. You know, I was thinking, we were, we were singing the last hymn we sang. It was an old hymn, Holy, 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 I think. It's probably one of the, the foremost attributes of God is that he is holy. He is totally other. He is perfect and spotless and blameless. And, of course, there are a lot of other attributes of him too. But, but he's also personal. And, and the way that he brought that personal relationship to us is through his son. Uh, Paul describes the word of the Old Testament, the law of the Old Testament, as like a, a uh, schoolmaster. Typically in that day, they go and gather up the kids. I think I've shared that before. They gather all the kids and they take them to school. So the law functions like, okay, kids, come together and go with the schoolmaster. And finally, you come to see the living word, the living word Jesus Christ. And that, that is how we come to know him. Today, even though we don't see physically Jesus in our presence as he was 2,000 years ago, everything about him we can see through the scriptures and come to know. So bringing us to Christ into relationship is, is the goal. And that, 
Uh, Psalm 1611 says this, in your presence, it means in the presence of Jesus, is fullness of joy. Okay, so joy is not a certain set of circumstances. But joy is in his presence. Joy is in Christ. So whether I've got an incurable disease, financial hardship, disappointment in relationships, broken marriages, and can I tell you this, that every one of us have our set of difficulties. And we brought them here with us this morning. And they're on your mind, and you're going to go back home to them. So many causes of discouragement can affect us. But there's one source of joy, and that joy is in His presence. And when I come to believe and rest in and understand the all-sufficient, all-powerful, all-knowing Jesus, who loves me more than I can comprehend, who has a plan for my life, who is working for His glory, that is working everything for good, and that is preparing a home for me in heaven, that Jesus, who loves you more than you'll ever grasp, is with you. It's like the the psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. So you can have joy in the valley of death. Yes, you can. Joy is not tied to a certain set of fantastic circumstances. You know what? If someone asked me, would you like a million dollars? I'd say, yeah, a million dollars would solve a lot of problems. <laughs> and you say, yeah, but it ruins a lot of people's lives. Yeah, it won't ruin mine. <clears throat> you know, I, I think typically we all think, well, I just, if I could just not have that to deal with or that would change and we could just with the magic wand go change all of our circumstances, would not create joy. might create temporary happiness and create joy. So when I... Here's what's happening in... in Nehemiah. He's reading the Word. People are repenting of their sins. They realize how they failed the Lord. But then he says, don't keep on weeping and crying, but joy in Him. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And just like Craig was talking about last week, putting your confidence in God and trusting in Him. So the more I read the Word the more it builds my faith that God is who He says He is and will do what He says He will do. That's usually where we falter. We forget what He said, we forget who He is, and we forget what He's promised. And we become discouraged. But the Word will remind me. It's a constant reminder. This is who He is. This is what He has done This is what He is working in your life, and this is what He has promised. And when you hear that over and over again and choose to believe that, it brings joy. There's a verse in Romans 10, 17 that says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing. So you read it, you hear it, and hearing comes by this book. And when I am thinking about what he has promised and what he has said and training my thoughts in that way, it builds my faith and my hope. Have you ever been around someone who's lost hope? Yeah, like I've been around myself. (laughs) Um, 
That's just a tough place to be. When a person ends their life, and, and you say, well, that I would never do that. Listen, folks, Christians do it all the time. You say, well, they, they, you know, they should believe in the Lord. Sure, you should believe in the Lord too. When every time we get discouraged and weary and weeping and, 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 and down in depression, it's usually one of two things. There's something we're not seeing about God, or there's something we're refusing to believe. We're refusing to believe it. And so his words have been given to us to build and strengthen our faith and hope in Jesus, to draw us into that relationship. And that is strength through life. You know, when people ask me my personal testimony of how I became a Christian, I used to always feel like, oh, I don't want to tell it because it's kind of boring. <laughs> you know, I was thinking, well, I was, after a live, life of drugs and alcohol and running around, uh, when I turned four, I got saved. <laughs> well, I'd say, well, that sounds dramatic. I don't going to believe that. But honestly, I became a Christian as a, as a young boy. I grew up in a, in a um, very good home, very thankful for that. But... I would describe from the time I was four until I was 18 as just kind of going through the motions. I mean, I, would, I had a Bible. I, I still remember the Bible I had. I'd carry it to church, and, and uh, <clears throat> I would hear all the Bible stories, and I'd memorize verses, and I, and I had professed Christ as my Savior, and I was a you know, pretty good kid. But um, I remember later on someone describing me. They were asking me, who is that guy over there um, talking about me? He never smiles. Now, I heard this after the fact, but I thought that kind of bothered me. Who's that guy over there? This is my description of in high school of myself, was the guy who never smiles. And I can tell you why. is because I was so self-absorbed. Um, everything revolved around what I wanted to do my whole life. Now, you say, well, can a Christian do that? Sure. <laughs> I mean, I still acknowledge that Jesus died for my sins, and I'd still accepted them, invited them into my heart. I'd, but I had no joy. I had no joy. And you can't hide that. You, you, people see it in your face. I'd walk with a sullen look um, in my life. And I, I didn't know why. I mean, but, but my whole life was consumed with, with me. And there was a guy by the name of Cal, and... Cal was just a few years older than me. He was in college, and uh, he he started talking to me, and he, he talked on interest things that interest me. Back then, it was sports, and and so he come up and he talk about sports about that, and and he said, "What you been reading lately in your Bible?" And I let him ask him that question because I really felt he cared about me, and I said, "Well, I haven't been reading a whole lot lately, <clears throat> you know. I, I I couldn't think of anything. I just kind of." And, uh, but every time I'd see him, he'd ask about sports and other things in life, and then he'd ask me, so what you, did you been reading, start reading anything? It started really bugging me, so that every time I'd see him coming, I'd want to turn around and go the other way, because I knew I hadn't read my Bible. So I finally, this may not be a good motivation, I turned to, and for whatever reason, I turned to Romans chapter 1, and I started, and I read a chapter, and I thought, and, and there's only one reason I did. <laughs> So when I saw it, Cal, and you know, the next day I'm thinking, I can't wait to see him. Where is he? Where is he? I, I thought, where is he? The one day I read my Bible. <clears throat> and then, uh, and, and so he said, well, he said, what would you read? And I said, Romans chapter 1. And uh, I told him a little bit about it. He goes, that's good. 
that's good. I thought, okay. So I started reading my Bible every night before I went to bed, most nights. And uh, school's out. I graduated from high school, went off working at a camp, summer camp during the summer. And then um, I came, I got through Romans, and I got into 1 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Some of you know that verse. And I still memorize it in the King James. So I have to, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's like a command. Whatever you do, Matt, do it to God's glory. And for the first time, I would say maybe the first time, but it's, it's the most memorable time in my life. That verse just was like that punch in the face. It was like, you are so full of yourself. That's like, that's, that was in the Greek in between that. You are so full of yourself. And all you live is for yourself. All you live is for your own glory and for your, you know, and you can find that in sports or whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter, but, but that was me. And, and it was like that night the Lord says, you, I want you living for me. And I, and I, I sat there for the longest time and uh, ended up going back into the cabin going to sleep. So here's what I thought. Next night I go out there on the porch to read my Bible. I turned to chapter 11 because I'd be done with chapter 10. <laughs> and I started uh, reading it. And the first part of chapter 11 says, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. I think, ah. Oh. You know, then I go back to the other one that says, live for his glory. And after a long battle that night, I, I said, Lord, I am so miserable living for myself as best as I know how. Help me to live for you. And anyway, that summer, which was a few years ago now, right, right from my senior year of high school, my, my whole life changed. Because every, every night I'd get up and I'd be reading and I'd try to find something that God was speaking to me about. And, and he would. And he'd show me something. And I'd be so excited about it. The next day I'd tell people, you know, it's like Ezra, study it, obey it, teach it. We've talked about that. It's how he prepared his heart. He studied it, he obeyed it, and he taught it. And I started, and, and people said, what has gotten into you? And, and at the end of the summer, here's what someone said. Who is that guy over there? who's always smiling. Now, it wasn't because my circumstances in life got any better than they were before. But I was interpreting them differently, you see. And every day I'm, I'm finding things that reinforce the promises of God. This is who I am. This is who you are. This is what I want you to do. This is what I'm planning. This is how you are to see troubles and stresses in life. Now, fast forward more than 10 years since I was 18. And uh, the last five years of my life have been hard, hard years. They've been hard. There are days when I wake up in the morning and I feel like I don't feel like doing a thing today. I feel despondent, discouraged, disappointed, wondering say, well, that happens to pastors. Oh, yeah. We're no different than you, despite what people like to say. Over the last five years, more often than not, I wake up and not feel much about doing anything. I'm not full of joy. 
But I've gotten into the habit of every morning opening up the Word and reading the Word. And I can tell you, it takes me from despair, discouragement, disappointment, lack of motivation, all of those things that can come when you lose your joy. And by the end of my time, and I'll usually what I'll do is I'll read the Word and I'll go take a walk and pray. I can't pray first because I don't even know what to pray about. I just kind of complain. <laughs> but when God gets my heart and my mind back on who He is and what He's done and what He's said and what He's promised, and I see all of that, it fills me up. And I can tell you this, I have got to the point I can't live without it. I can't. I, I, I don't think I could move forward without it. The source of joy is Christ to me revealed in His Word. Now, I want to say just something about the drift because I could have experienced all of that back in the day. But a lot of us have drifted. We, we at one time had that joy. We at one time were filled with that that uh, spiritual happiness in His presence. And we've lost it. And it wasn't like some big event or something, but, but it's been a slow drift. And, and, I, and I will tell you, it's when we drift away from reading this book and studying this book and obeying this book and being so excited about what God's doing in your life that you can't shut up about it. You've got to tell someone, I was just reading this. People will say to me, well, I'm not a teacher. I'll tell you what, when God does something special, you can't shut up about it. When he's showing you something, and it's, it's amazing how you're going to cross paths with someone today who needs that. <laughs> it's amazing how God gives you what you need because you can, you're human too. You help them. And we're all prone to slowly drift away. Now, for me... It wasn't so much that I didn't read my Bible every day. Because I've gotten into the habit of that spiritual discipline. <laughs> you know, say, aha, I read my Bible every day. But it was almost a cursory. It was like, okay, I got that done. It was like, check. Okay, get up there and read it. What did you read today? Uh, I don't, yeah, it was really good. <laughs> but I, a slow drift away. Back in the very beginning with Israel, before all of this catastrophic destruction of Jerusalem, the walls broken down, burned with fire, temple destroyed, and ruins, the city... Before all, at the very beginning, here's what the Lord said. Don't add to what I say. Don't take away from it. But follow my word. Follow my word. That's what he said. That was in the time of Moses, Deuteronomy. By the time Joshua came, they followed, they still followed Joshua. But in Judges it says... They slowly forgot the words of the Lord. You read that in chapter 2, is that they, that they forgot the works of God, and as generations went on, pretty soon the word was not a vital part of their being. In the very last verse of Judges, it says, everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. Well, of course you will. If, if you don't have God's word guiding you, you're going to feel and think and do what you think is right and what is best, and that's a sure way to a downward spiral. <laughs> They drift away. The end of Judges, you see them in such a, a sad state. And do you remember, uh, this one thing, I, I, 
it probably made some people do in seminary. I didn't have to do this, but memorize all the kings of the Bible. <laughs> like, oh, because all the names are like what I was reading earlier. <laughs> but you remember the, the first king? It was Saul. Okay. And David. And then following David was Solomon. But after Solomon, the kingdom was divided and they started to really struggle. Now, David was a man after God's own heart. He's a, the sweet psalmist of Israel. He, he wrote many of the psalms that praise God. Okay, but we go from there all the way to the very, one of the very last kings at the destruction. His name was Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim. Now, I want you to remember this guy because Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah tells us what he did. He, get, he had the priests come in and bring the law, the word. It's in a scroll form, not like our Bibles, it's a scroll. And he said, read the word. So he read about four lines, and Jehoiakim took a knife and cut, cut it off. You know what he did with it? Threw it in the fire. Read some more. Read some more. Cut it off. Threw it in the fire. Read some more. Cut it, threw it in the fire. Like, wow. In other words, we're not only ignoring God's word, we're actually blatantly defying God and mocking God. That's a scary thing. But that, that's how bad Israel had become as a nation. That's their leadership. So that, and God, in his love and compassion for his people, brought them into judgment and brokenness to bring them back to this point. So the restoration now is coming from a whole nation that had drifted away from the words of the Lord. You've heard of the Dark Ages, probably from A.D. 500 to 1500, but it's basically the time, the end of the Roman uh, Empire, until the Reformation. It's called Dark Ages, Middle Ages, whatever. But but I think one of the things that, that it was so spiritually dark, it wasn't just spiritually dark, it was dark in a lot of ways, intellectually and so forth, but it became so spiritually dark that after the New Testament early explosion of the church, and Jerome, who had taken the Greek and Hebrew Bible and translated it into Latin, everyone had a Latin Bible. That'd be like... Everyone in our church had a Bible in Mandarin. Say, I got a Bible. I got a Bible. Well, <clears throat> and for centuries, people go to church, <clears throat> and you don't need the Bible. You don't Now, we'll read it to you, and we'll tell you what it means. And that's how the church became so corrupt. Through all those years, you had ungodly un people, and, and, and they took away the personal relationship of the individual believer with the Scriptures. And it wasn't until some very exciting things happened. I'm trying to give a history lesson, but to me it's pretty exciting to see all of these things come together. It's like a, the perfect storm. Is Gutenberg invents the press. Okay, Tyndale translates the Bible from original Greek and Hebrew into vernacular English. In other words, common, everyday English. Wow! And then they start distributing the Scriptures. Then Martin Luther corrects theology. And John Calvin follows him with writing theology. And you find just an absolute explosion of Christianity at the time of the Reformation. And 
And it's all centered around the Word. What moved Martin Luther in justification by faith? Because he read it in Galatians. What is changing the church, what is, what is changing lives is the Scriptures. And it brought great strength and great joy to the church. Now, <clears throat> I would describe, this is my opinion, when I look around at our churches, and I, and I used to be traveling and speaking in a different church every Sunday, it, it, it appears to me that we have lost our love for this word. People don't read it regularly. They don't study it. And so what happens is their faith weakens because they're not resting on promises. They're not going back to this truth. They're not getting their soul anchored. They're not getting lifted up in the morning. And so their faith weakens, their hope weakens, and when trials come, there is no joy. There is no joy. Ezra had prepared his heart. And this is a a call to a return, a return to the Word, a return to your joy. And this is a challenge I'd like to, to, to give to you. There's nothing that would thrill me more to see our church love God's Word, not just because theologically we say in our statement, oh, we believe in the Bible. No, we do that but where it's personal, you read it, you see it, you underline it, you mark in it, and you're reminded of things. And, and God's going to give you the word you need for that day. Now obey it. Repent. Obey. Rejoice. And share with others. That's, that's what was happening here. And, and God brought a spiritual revival through his word the word and their joy and their strength and they rebuilt the walls they rebuilt the city and god gave them everything that they needed when i think of jeremiah you remember jeremiah is alive when jehoiakim is slicing off throwing the fire read some more Read some, it's almost like mocking God, isn't it? Read some more. Cut it off, throw in the fire. Here's what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah 15, verse 16. Your words were found, and I ate them. He said, well, he, he actually, no. This is what he's saying is, your words were found, and I ate them. In other words, I, I took them in. I digested them. I, I pondered them. I meditated. I, I, it's like I... I ate your word, and your word was to me, for me, the joy and rejoicing of my heart. So you find a a miserable king cutting up the scriptures and throwing it into the fire, leading a miserable nation into more misery and destruction. And a man who's in the midst of all of that to say, I I found your words, I, I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. I conclude with just this thought. How many of you know about Job? You've read or heard about Job. <clears throat> How many of you have named your kids Job? <clears throat> you know, it's like I, I really admire him and respect him, but I do not want my kids to go through that. Well, I'll just read the story and I'll make all the spiritual applications. Thank you. <clears throat> I don't know if there's any man that we identify more with suffering than Job. 
So you take your worst day, your worst situation, and then it's probably pale in comparison to what Job went through. And Job went through a lot of ups and downs like we are. We're not perfect. Like, I'm always going to get up and respond, oh, yeah, I read my Bible today. I just feel great. How about you? No. There's some days that's real work. But here's what Job said, chapter 23, verse 12. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. That's Christ. Christ, the word. He says, I treasure Christ in this word more than what I eat. Now, we've been eating a lot lately. I don't know about you, but you don't even need to be hypoglycemic. When you miss a meal, you get cranky. We're on vacation. Diane will say sometimes, uh, we need to get Dad something to eat. <laughs> I thought, okay, I get, the, I get the hint. Don't the kids need something to eat? You know how you are when you miss a meal? And I think what he's saying is, I have valued and treasured your words more than my daily food. And I believe this, that when we do that, I'm not saying you don't eat, but value His words more than your food. Because, because your food, your physical food, is just fuel to keep a body going that's going to decay. But your relationship to God is eternal. And when He gives you those words to lift you up and encourage you and help you and build your faith and give you hope and help you see the big picture and call you back in repentance when you get off track... There is no greater joy than that. So this is what the challenge is by by Ezra. Stop your weeping. Stop your grieving. Yes, this church has all the same problems the rest of this world has. But realize this. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And and, And the joy comes from the Word who is the living Christ for us. And I pray every day this church become word-filled, just word-filled. And today, my challenge as you leave is, may you desire it more than your physical food. Let's bow together as we pray.